Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 690 with Christian Bush. How would you like to get lucky? No, this is not that kind of a podcast. Or to create more luck in your life, more serendipity. Well, Christian has figured it out. There is some science behind it. So you'll learn, one, how to connect the dots for smart luck. Two, how to turn random incidents into serendipity moments. And three, how serendipity develops grit. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP690. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our cool stuff, like the little magnifying glass search bar. Search the full text transcripts. A listener emailed me and said, hey, there was a, someone who was on a potato farm in an episode a while ago who had some great perspective on crafting story and being succinct. Well, you can search potato farm in the search bar and there you can find, oh yeah, it was Davina Stanley. Yeah. And she was great. Cool. And the gold nuggets would provide email summaries of the wisdom Christian shares that you can read in about three minutes, as well as unlocking the vault of all of those such gold nugget email summaries for you to reference on demand whenever you like. That's the gold nuggets. Good stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Christian's story. Dr. Christian Bush is the director of the Global Economy Program at New York University Center for Global Affairs, where he teaches on purpose-driven leadership, impact entrepreneurship, social innovation, and emerging markets. Christian is a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics and the co-founder of Leaders on Purpose, an organization convening high-impact leaders, as well as the Sandbox Network, a global community of young innovators active in over 20 countries. Previously, he served on the faculty of the LSE's Department of Management and as the inaugural deputy director of the LSE's Innovation Center. Big thanks to Christian for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Christian. Christian, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk about your book, The Serendipity Mindset, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. We previously had on the show Annie Duke, who is a, a former um, poker world champion and now teaches a lot about decision making. And, and she's had quite this statement, which was that all the results in your life are due to your decisions and your luck. And so you can't do much about your luck. So 
I'm going to get really great at decisions. I thought that makes so much sense to me. But here Christian comes along. It's like, well, actually, (laughs) perhaps we can do some things to create good luck. So let's make sure we cover both sides of of that equation. So tell us, maybe as, as we dig in, could you kick us off with one of your most particularly surprising, counterintuitive, fascinating discoveries you've made while researching and and working on this serendipity stuff. Yeah, it really comes based on the premise of saying, hey, usually when we think about luck, we think about this blind luck, to your point, that is as opposed to skill, right? It's like, oh my God, it's just something that happened to us and we didn't really work for it. And, And serendipity is really about smart luck. It's about that luck that we have to work for in some way. So take the quintessential moment you know if you have erratic hand movements like i do imagine you're mm-hmm. in a coffee shop you spill a coffee over someone and you sense there might be some kind of connection you don't know what it is but you sense there might be some kind of connection professional personal whatever it is and now you have two options right option number one is you just say i'm so sorry here's a napkin you walk outside and you think ah what could have happened had i spoken with the person and then option number two is you start a conversation that person becomes your co-founder your next investor your the love of your life and the point here is the way we react to the unexpected the way we connect the dots in that moment essentially leads us to that smart luck and so if you think about everything from viagra to potato washing machines to how we find the love of our life a lot of times that is based on our own actions and so what i've been working a lot on is the question of is there a science-based framework that allows us to create more of those meaningful accidents but also makes accidents more meaningful and so to give you one example that i'm fascinated by because i think it's it's a very tangible approach of how we can better our lives with doing is it's the hook strategy and the hook strategy essentially is all about saying if you would ask ollie barrett who's a wonderful entrepreneur in london what do you do you know the dreaded question that's that's essentially putting you into a box he would not just say i'm a technology entrepreneur he would say something like I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently read into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks where you could say, oh my God, such a coincidence. I recently started playing the piano. You should come by. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science at university. You should give a guest lecture. The point is we can use every conversation to seed a couple of information in there that essentially allows other people to connect the dots for us. And that's how serendipity starts to happen more and more. And uh, it's almost like this, this multiplication of serendipity that we can have through these kind of practices. Mm-hmm. And so the, the hooks then is you're providing multiple opportunities for connection or things to be latched onto there, as opposed to just sort of like following the script. This is what I do. And that's that. And I guess likewise with, with Viagra. So I'm a little familiar with the story. So how about you share the discovery of Viagra was not quite what they were originally starting to try to figure out. Can you share the story and, and how that connects to serendipity? Absolutely. So that was really a couple of researchers giving people medication against angina the disease and they realized oh my god there was some kind of movement happening in male participants trousers and so what would we usually do we would probably be like oh my god that's embarrassing let's look away or let's find a way to cure that kind of side effect or let's get that off the table they did the opposite they said you know what that's unexpected but there's a lot of men in the world who might have a problem in that department so why don't we try to figure out how that could turn into a medication and so that's how serendipitously viagra evolved and that's actually 
to give you one more example that maybe shows exactly that kind of effect, it's, it's the example of the potato washing machine. And the potato washing machine was really a company in China that sells refrigerators. And they were essentially, they had farmers call them up and say, oh, your crappy washing machine is always breaking down. And so they asked them, well, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in it and it doesn't seem to work. And so what would we usually do? We would probably look at that unexpected event and say, oh my God, why would you wash your potatoes in there? Like, don't do that. They did the opposite. They built in a dirt filter and made it a potato washing machine. And so it's really that idea of how do we react to the unexpected moment, that kind of random event that happens, and then how do we connect the dots to something meaningful? And that's where we imbue meaning in it. And so that's really what serendipity is about. It's about somehow finding this kind of meaningful accident. That's cool. Well, so that, that already seems to be a theme here in, in terms of not being so maybe rigid, fixated on the thing I'm trying to achieve or how it's supposed to go or, or, or the protocol or the rules, but rather having kind of an, an openness to what might emerge from this. Yeah. Any tips on how we do more of that? You know, it's interesting. So one part of our research has focused a lot on that question of what makes people more successful than others in their careers and when they run companies or when they manage groups or when they run their own life. And one of the key themes behind that was really that the most successful people seem to have in common that they actually have some kind of sense of direction. They somehow know this is approximately where I'm going. If I'm running XYZ company, a MasterCard and I want to bring 500 million people into the financial system, or if I am looking for a new job and I approximately know that I want to go into XYZ area. But then this openness to the unexpected that it might not necessarily be exactly that kind of job that I'm looking for. And that's really what a lot of them have in common, that they let go of this illusion of control, that you can know exactly what you can do tomorrow, exactly the kind of job you can find tomorrow. And, you know, I grew up in Germany and I love plans. I love everything that that reduces ambiguity, that reduces anxiety and, and everything else. But actually, one of the things that I've realized in my own life and the life with and those people that I've studied and worked with is that exactly that idea of having a certain sense of where we're going, but then unexpectedly, a lot of times the, the most interesting things emerge. And so it's really about saying, let's redefine that. Let's redefine the unexpected from a threat into something that actually can make our life even better if we somehow reframe those moments. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds swell. And maybe to help pull that off, uh, having some extra awareness of what you call three core types of serendipity might help. What are they? Yeah, so it's it's really about, is there something we've already been looking for, right? So let's say you're Archimedes and you're, you know that the king asked you, hey, can you tell me if this crown is pure gold or if it is something else? some kind of fake type crown. And Archimedes wanted to solve that problem, but he couldn't find a solution. And he was like, okay, well, you know, let's forget about it for a second. Let me go to the baths and just kind of chill out for a moment. And then when he went into the public baths, he realized, oh, the water seems to go up when I go into that. So maybe I can use that logic to figure out if there's actually gold in that crown, because the gold will probably part water in different ways or volumes than it would be if it would be some kind of other material. And so essentially, he unexpectedly found a way to solve the problem he already wanted to solve. And so that is a lot of times, you know, if I know I want to have a job in McKinsey and I want to apply to that exact job, and I always think I do that via XYZ application or XYZ contact, but then actually, 
the niece of my father's brother unexpectedly tells me about this one kind of person that I should connect with and I get the job via that person, that essentially is kind of that Archimedes serendipity that that is one. The other one really is the kind of more post-it note where we realized we're looking for one thing, right? So in the in the case of post-it, the beautiful notes, someone was looking for solving that in some way like how do we essentially develop a stronger glue they they were experimenting with strong glue and then they realized actually a weaker glue is much more fun because we can then use that on these kind of post-it type notes and so it was something they were looking for one thing but while looking for that something completely different happened and so that's how when we look for one job right and then we might find a completely different job on that journey and it's just unexpected. And then the third one, which is my favorite, is really when it's completely unexpected, right? The kind of thunderbolt that comes from the sky where that's the way how we fall in love a lot of times, right? We're in those coffee shop moments. We just bump into someone. We didn't see it coming and it just happens. But what all these three have in common really is that it's all a process, right? It's all a process rather than just like something that happens to us. It's always the process of there's some kind of trigger happening. Something happens to us, but then we have to do something with it. We have to connect the dots and, and turn it into something. And so that's the, the beauty of serendipity. Well, and how do we get better at kind of spotting those triggers in terms of, I think, depending on your mood, I mean, in my own experience, in terms of like, is something just sort of like a frustration, an irritation? A headache or just kind of weird versus is it, oh, a, a wondrous opportunity. So how do we spot them and jump on them? You know, it's interesting. I, I clustered probably in two different types. The one is really, in a way, the way we frame the world and the way we look at the world. And, and you know, there's this beautiful example um, uh, of the lucky and unlucky uh, person where a researcher essentially took one person who self-identifies as very lucky and someone who self-identifies as very unlucky. So someone who says, bad things always happen to me, um, and you know I'm always in accidents and so on. And we probably all know people in both kind of camps, you know, people who are like considering themselves to be very unlucky versus very lucky. And and then they, you know, the researcher tells them, walk down the street, go into the coffee shop, order a coffee and sit down, and then we'll have an interview. Now, what he doesn't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street and inside the coffee shop. Uh, there's a five pound note, so money in front of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, there's this extremely successful businessman. And there's this one seat next to that businessman that's empty. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the coffee shop, uh, you know, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, has a nice conversation, they exchange business cards, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that. The unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note so doesn't see it, goes inside, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman, and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, how was your day today? And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, made a new friend, and, you know, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And that's the interesting thing, right? That there were two of those moments. The one is the moment of, if I expect that things can happen that are good, I open my mind more to it, right? I, I, I believe if I, once I believe that there could be good things out there, actually, I see more of those dollar bills. Like I found, like I'm consistently and constantly finding money in the street because people actually surprisingly drop a lot of money in the street. Um, but then also when you are in the coffee shop um, and talking with a businessman, that's more the kind of extroversion piece, right? That the more we interact with people, of course, the more there's potentially opportunity coming out of it. But 
closet introverts like myself, like a lot of times serendipity comes from silent sources, right? It comes from reading a book and then saying, oh my God, people haven't talked about this for a while. I should do a podcast about this, these kind of different things. So I think the one pocket is really around this idea of overcoming the bias of, oh, like life doesn't have something there for me because actually life can have something everywhere. And, and that's the fascinating thing. And when we talk, or if we talk about Viktor Frankl and so this idea of, you know, you can imbue meaning everywhere and there's always something interesting everywhere. But also then the second piece, and, and that's the one I'm much more interested in actually, is the deeper psychological questions. What are the self-limiting beliefs that we all have that really hold us back? And that really is, you know, imagine you're in a meeting and, you know, people talk about something and you have this random idea come up, but you hold back. You, do, you don't talk and, and then you go outside and you think, ah, I should have talked about it. What was it that held you back? Was it you know, I'm not worthy enough. Was it, I'm not ready. I'm, it's not mature enough, the idea. And, and really working on these deeper underlying biases, because a lot of times we might see the idea, we might see something, but we might not act on it. And I think that's the bigger piece. So it's both the kind of, how do we train to see more things by under, by not underestimating how actually, how likely the unexpected is. But then the second piece also, how do we connect the dots and, and, and allow ourselves to do that? Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned self-limiting beliefs. I mean, are there a few in particular that kind of rise to the top of the list as being prominent and, and widespread serendipity killers? One that I've, I've certainly myself for a very long time had struggled with is, is fear of rejection. I think when you think about that a lot of times in life, the reason why you don't reach out to someone, the reason why you don't do X, Y, Z is because you're afraid that you might get negative feedback that someone might say that idea is bad. No, I'm sorry, I don't want to date you. No, I'm sorry, I don't want to offer you that job, right? And so it's, it's that kind of idea of that we almost and we, we anticipate the worst case and then we're like, ah, okay, maybe maybe not. And one thing that I've realized in my own life and that I've seen with, with others as well is once you redefine that away from the worst thing that can happen is rejection to the worst thing that can happen is that feeling that you have afterwards if you didn't try, that that feeling of when you go outside and you're like, ah, I wished I had done X, Y, Z. And and really that regret that comes from not trying. And that's very Mark Twain-ish, right? In terms of we won't regret the things we, we have done, but we will regret the things we haven't done a lot of times. And, and it's really that kind of overcoming that fear in some ways. And it's not easy, but I feel like the more rejections we get in life, the easier it gets in some way to work on that. So I, I think the fear of rejection is a big one. And one of my absolute favorites also is I think we because we or a lot of us might have that kind of tendency to want to control things we in a way then imbue a lot of meaning and trying to have everything under control and so we like as soon as something unexpected happens imagine you go on a trip with your colleagues and then the, you organize the whole trip and now there's a tire that breaks down and and that's unexpected and you're like oh my god no this can't be we'll be late for lunch or dinner and and that will ruin the whole day or, hey, like maybe this can become a bonding experience for this team. And like, is there something in that moment? And so I think in a way, like once we let go of this idea that the way we planned it is the ideal way to, hey, actually, if something goes wrong, maybe that's a great bonding experience. Maybe that's something in that moment that, that we can do something with. I think then it gets really interesting. And one thing I've always found fascinating about it, presenters, for example, great presenters, I feel they always have this kind of one line if something breaks down because they know the likelihood of something breaking down, the likelihood of a projector not working, of the moderator not appearing, whatever it is. 
individually, it's very small likelihoods. But if you add all this up together, it's very likely that something unexpected happens. And so if they have a sentence at the beginning where they're like, oh my God, X, Y, Z, ha, ha, that's the way how they pull the audience on their side, right? Because the audience says, oh my God, they really can, they cope with that situation well. And so I think those situations in a way show real leadership, I think, and it's, we can all build that muscle for it. Well, Christian, now I, I want to have a few of those sentences ready to go. Can you recall some of those? Yeah, I mean, my favorite really, so a friend of mine, she used to get very red, right? So when she would go on stage, she would turn red. And so she would literally then kind of build that into a sentence and say, hey, look, like, this is the warning signal that we're about to start. And, you know, these kind of like just something that directly turns something that could have been seen as a weakness or something that where people would have talked about anyways, right? Everyone in this room would either have thought it or would have told the person next to them, oh, look, like this is very red. But by turning this directly around, she actually turned that into something that made the audience really be on her side. And I think in my case, I, I have a lot of, being the German, we have a lot of anti-jokes. There's a lot of dumb ones. You know, it's a lot of when a projector doesn't work or something, it's like, oh, the slides were crap anyways. Like, it's much better if we talk X, Y, Z or, you know, things where, <laughs> where it's, it's not necessarily funny in that sense. But I think just having a sentence that allows us to bridge that, I think that shows the audience, okay, great, this person is still in control versus that person somehow tries to figure out now how to just make that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That theme there in terms of, I am not freaked out by this not having gone to plan. In fact, I maybe I find it amusing or <laughs> I am um, nice. somehow charmed or enchanted by <laughs> by it working out the way it has worked out really does put other folks at ease because it's like if the presenter's in all awkward, nervous, feeling uncomfortable, well, then the audience is as well. And so if hmm. you go there, that's cool. Yeah, I guess in some ways that this all seems a little bit, a little bit easier said than done. I think particularly maybe when the stakes are high, when you really want the thing that you're really going after and you have invested a lot of yourself in terms of, you know, the time, the money, the resources into, into making something unfold the way you want it to. And then it just doesn't, there's, there's a flat tire, the, the slides don't work. Nobody shows up to the thing. Yeah. Any pro tips on, on how to get better at that. It sounds like you've already mentioned previously that the more we can believe and accept that things not working according to plan can be in our best interest and truly an asset, that's great. And, and I guess it'd be helpful if maybe you should made a list of such things that happen in your life. Like, hey, here's some evidence. But how else do you, you recommend that we get there when, yeah, when the stakes are high? Yeah, it's a great question. And I've seen a lot with my students who, you know, when COVID uh, happened, a lot of them had their jobs lined up after graduations or their internships. And they always wanted an internship in XYZ Bank. And they worked so long for it. And they, they worked all their contacts and worked out. And then COVID happened and I just didn't. And so it was kind of this very high stake, you know, first job type situation where you really felt this is what I really want to do. This is what I really need at this point in time. And what I found fascinating and, you know, now one and a half years in having conversations with some of those students, it is tough, right? Look, I've had situations. I remember when I graduated in 2007, we had the financial crisis hit. I had so much mapped out and then that crisis hit and, and you just got it, right? Emotionally and cognitively, you're just like, oh my God, life is over and, and that is it. 
I think one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is, is that kind of question of when we look at it in the long run, like when we look at this two, three, four, five, six years, like what does it really mean? I've seen the same with my jobs, for example. I was on a consultancy track and then essentially, you know, serendipitously fell into the startup world first. And there was very, it felt like in that moment, oh my God, this is, something's going wrong here. But actually it turned out, you know, when looking back now, I wondered like, why would I ever even consider that? And so I think to your point, like in the moment, it always feels very tough and rough, right? This kind of moments of, oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted. I worked so hard for this for years. And then I think with a bit of distance over time, what happens a lot of times is that we're saying, oh, actually, I only had limited information at that time. Actually, at that time, also, I was another person than I am now because I went through this kind of tough period. And so I think a lot of times when looking back, it's, it's this beautiful saying you know, that if it's not a happy ending, maybe it's not the ending yet. And, and maybe there's, we shouldn't stop this story too early. And, and I've seen that with a lot of people who I consider to be extremely successful, that they essentially had a certain story stop at some point, but then they developed that grit and that persistence. And that is my kind of, on the more actionable side, I've always been a big fan of that perspective taking, of that kind of, when we are in this emotional moment where we say, oh my God, the world is going down. I didn't get the job I wanted saying, what would I tell a friend now? And the friend probably usually would say, hey, look, that's really not nice, but actually, hey, have you considered X, Y, Z? And, and really taking ourselves out of that purely emotional and, and into the kind of perspective, which a lot of times then I think helps with this kind of developing grit. And I think Adam Grant has done some amazing work around this, highly recommended for everyone to check out around grit, resist, uh, resilience and perseverance. Gotcha. Thank you. Well, Christian, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, serendipity is about potentiality, right? It's about what could be. And I'm a big fan. There's this amazing organization in the Cape Flats in Cape Town. I went there around a decade ago for the first time. I went in there and I was like, what is the one question I should never ask you? I come into your context here. Like, what should I never ask you? And they were like, never ask us first question, what do you need? Because if you ask us, what do you need? You put us into this weird role of like, someone who needs something, a victim, a, a beneficiary, whatever that is, versus asking what's already here and how can we make the best out of this? And so that really shaped my perspective in terms of how people, even in the most resource constraints of environments, want to create their own luck. It's not about saying, I'm just waiting for resources here. And, and I think a lot of times we have this reflex, right? Hey, here, here's some money. Here's this, like, let's apply for a budget or a grant. But actually that dignity that comes from creating your own luck is really at the core of this. And so this organization, what they do is they go into different contexts and they ask what is already here and how can we make the best out of it? Oh, there's a former drug dealer. Interesting. That person has a lot of creativity. That person has a lot of contacts. So if we can turn them into a teacher, it becomes cool now to be a teacher. If we look at an old garage, we can look at a potential training center. And so the point here is that we start connecting the dots differently once we get away from looking at resource constraints and the things we don't have and into the potentiality of it. And so it's a lot of banks and, and others now who apply exactly that thinking, right? Imagine you're an organizing event at, at your company and you write your budget and you're like, oh, I need 20 chairs for this event. Well, what this organization would do, they would first ask you, well, do you really need the chairs or can people stand, whatever it is? 
If you need them, can you ask the restaurant next door if they can borrow you the chairs, which might also nicely kind of give you some new context there, whatever it is. And only if you say no to all of these things, then go ahead with it. And what happens a lot of times is that we're like, oh my God, we don't even need all this budget. We can make stuff happen much more resourceful than, than we thought. And, and you know, that's where serendipity starts to happen because we get away from thinking about budget constraints and things that don't work and scarcity and really think about more wow, what could be in this situation already? And maybe I have more here than I think I have. More kind of context that I thought I had, more kind of resources that I thought I had. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense that when you, well, I think I remember from like a college psychology class, there's a name for this, right? The Being fixated on on the lack versus what you have. There's a name for it. Do you know <laughs> well, the, the psychological term? I think it's a lot around framing also, right? How do we, yeah. like, essentially, how do we reframe a situation? And I think that goes very deeply into psychology. How do we essentially understand that it's not about resource scarcity always? And I think it's actually, you know, what was really interesting? I had a couple of conversations recently with psychologists. And for them, actually, the mindset is interesting because they're saying it helps us to get away a little bit from the anxiety, from the feeling that that we're losing control because actually maybe there's something in there that, that still helps us. And so I think there's, to your point, I think there's a lot of psychological linkages there. I think also in terms of how do we approach life and, and see it less as scarcity and more as abundance. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My absolute favorite is a Goethe quote. So Goethe, I grew up in Heidelberg and Goethe, there's this philosopher's way where Goethe wrote some of his poems. And he had this idea that if you take someone as they are, you make them worse. But if you take them as who they could be, you make them capable of becoming who they can be. And that's actually, you know, Viktor Frankl took that idea at some point and he talked about it in the context of the flight instructor. And, you know, the flight instructor told him, well, Victor, if you want to fly like this or orthogon like just a little bit up, you always need to start a bit higher than you want to fly because the wind will always pull you down. So if you start as a realist, you end up as a depressionist. But if you start as an optimist, you end up as the real realist. And Goethe's point really was to say, if we always see a little bit more in the moment than there is that meets the eye, we start seeing serendipity happen after and after and after and after again. And I think that's also what good leadership is about. Good leadership is about looking at a former drug dealer and not seeing just a former drug dealer. It's about looking at them and saying, wow, you could be a teacher. Wow, you could be X, Y, Z. And then people start also seeing it themselves and seeing other potentialities as well. So I would probably commit to good in that regard. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, one absolute favorite is about rabbits. And so essentially, a couple of decades ago, two researchers at approximately the same time, they were injecting rabbits with papain and the rabbit's ears flopped. And both of them saw that, that they flopped, right? It was surprising. It was interesting. But only one of them followed up on it. And only one of them went through and, and realized, oh, wow, that has to do with bloodstream. It has to do with the blood flowing better. And then that led to amazing arthritis and, and other medications and, and got a lot of prices. And to me, that has always been a beautiful example of how we can really understand serendipity and how we can understand the counterfactual of this. What could have happened had the person acted versus not? So in this moment, it's really the one person acted on that unexpected thing, connected the dots, did something with it, versus the other thing had the same thing happen, but they didn't. And so it's, it's similar to what we talked about earlier, these other experiments that are about, you can give people exactly the same situation, but the way they react to it and what they do with it will lead to extremely different results. And so I think that to me is always, as an academic, I'm always thinking about 
what are science-based ways that we can understand serendipity. And one is really about tracing back different types of decisions and then saying, oh, this decision unfolds differently because of that and that action. And how about a favorite book? Oh, my favorite book? Definitely Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, this book is, it's next to my bedside table. I've been rereading it so many times and it's essentially the core idea is uh, that, you know, he was in a concentration camp, which as you can imagine, is the toughest of environments that one could ever be in. You are being stripped of any dignity that you've ever had. And he said, look, but I still can do something here. I can still, he had this idea of, I can still converse with other prisoners every day and by making them feel better about life in general. I have some kind of meaning here. I still want to write this book after I come out here. And so he had this duality of meaning, this kind of meaning in the day-to-day that he built and this meaning of, I still want to do this later. And so I found that in my work to be extremely effective, to have this idea that you both have something that's in the day-to-day that gives us meaning, but also something to look forward to that gives us a broader meaning. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Uh, That's a good question. Probably the coffee machine. I need a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. All right. And a uh, key nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate with folks, they, they quote it back to you frequently. It's probably a lot around that idea that comes back to Viktor Frankl that we cannot always choose a situation or a stimulus, but we can always choose our response to it. And so that is really our agency. That is where our growth comes from. That's where our freedom comes from. And so really this idea that no matter what situation we're in, there's always something we can still do, even if it seems powerless. And so I think that's very something that I think resonates, particularly, I think, in tough, I mean, during COVID periods like now, I had COVID last year, a severe form of it. And it's the kind of period where you just feel complete despair. Right? You just feel, oh, my God, like, what is this all about? And then this idea of how do you still find some kind of meaning in some way? And I think that is a lot around this. How do we respond to a stimuli that we didn't choose? Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? It's on Twitter, at Chris Serendip, and the homepage is serendipitymindset.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would really suggest set up a serendipity journal where you write down what are the key themes, three key themes, interests you have at the moment, and then every conversation you have during the next days and weeks, seed a little bit into this and just see what happens when people start connecting the dots for you and then doing the same for the self-limiting beliefs. So really saying in those moments when you're out there where you feel something could have happened, but it didn't, what seems to be the pattern behind this? And really writing this down and then seeing what it is. And I think what you'll see is that that is very relieving to then kind of start tackling this and, and seeing how many how much multiplication that has in other areas as well. Well, Chris, this has been a treat. I wish you many serendipitous moments in the future. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated Christian's perspective on not being so rigid and fixated on precisely the narrow outcome that you're after and getting worked up and stressed and and annoyed (laughs) when it's not quite going that way, because I can be guilty of that. Because in fact, those things can in fact open up really cool opportunities and possibilities. And that's just a much lower stress, more pleasant way to live. And in fact, as I reflect back on some of my own disappointments, sure enough, there were some really cool things hiding in there. I think it might've been Tony Robbins who suggested in one of his programs to ask yourself the question, what's great about this? And I thought that was really handy because your first instinct is nothing. This is terrible. It's all going wrong. Ah! But sure enough, if you dig a little deeper, you can find something cool there. And as things unfold over time, you may be surprised by the serendipitous goodness that unfolds. So thanks to Christian for bringing 
and a little bit of extra luck and peace into life. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP690. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.